And I've done it in multiple, multiple companies and every time it's worked. There's no, oh my God, there's one big solution to this. And every organization can do this by looking at what's gone on, look at stop, start, continue. What do we do more of? What do we stop doing because it's not working, but it's just effort? And what aren't we doing that we can now start? Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby, and I'm joined today by Ian Moyce. Ian is the Chief Revenue Officer of 1UP Sales, and he's a longtime award-winning sales leader. He's been awarded the accolade of the BESMA UK Sales Director of the Year in 2019 and 2020. He's listed in the top 50 sales keynote speakers by Top Sales World. Ian's been a judge on many sales awards, and he's grown four different companies through to Exit and advising many others in a non-executive capacity along the way. Ian, thank you so much for joining us. More than welcome, uh, Mark, and thank you for the invite. Absolutely. So you and I were just chatting offline before I hit record here about your experience actually uh, looking for a job prior to joining 1UP Sales as the CRO. What would you say the top three takeaways or lessons for recruiters and recruitment business owners are based on having of, of that experience and, you know, thinking in terms of we are now in a very candidate driven market, your relationship with candidates is key to your success. What are, what are the things that you would advise your recruiting customers Number one is pretty fundamental. It's remember that the candidate is a human being. They're not a product. You know, it, it's, I'm used to saying a product to a customer, and, and, and I respect that recruitment is hard because you've got the customer has got to say yes, and so is the product. The product can change its mind. My product doesn't change its mind. If you want to buy it, it it's happy to come to you, right? It, 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 it's, it's a technology. Um, but that human being has got a life around them, and their job – is an important part of their life. It's not they're buying a pen or a pencil, so the way you deal with them or whatever, and, and it's a low value or whatever, it's intrinsically a one of the important decisions they make in their life, like buying a house, uh, who, who they marry, where they live. And it, it's one of the big decisions is, who am I going to work for? Because I have to live with this decision. It's my livelihood, um, and, it, and it affects if I get it wrong, it has a big effect, not just on me, but my family, my behavior, you know, how I feel. And remember that and treat them as a human being. And to your point, they, 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 there is how you, how they remember you has a knock on effect to you. You may not know what that effect is, or you may find out, but they may be in a position where they recommend you to someone else, whether it be another candidate. I've done that many times when people have asked, as I mentioned just now, oh, you've got to deal with the, go, go and go and deal with such and such because they're going to tell you if you're not right for a role and they're also going to tell you if they don't have anything for you. They're going to be genuine and honest. So there's no guarantee, no recruiters perfectly go to, they're going to get you a job, but the way they deal with you is what I'm recommending, right? So, so that would certainly be- Absolutely. The other one is give feedback, right? I, I know you can't spend an inordinate amount of time with every individual, but there's quick stuff. I, as a employer, when I interview someone, I will give them feedback genuinely there and then. Not, uh, uh, well, I'll let the recruiter know. That, to me, is, is the slopey-shouldered, lazy, I don't want to tell you to your face you're not right for the role, or here's the reasons why it's easier to tell someone else than they tell you. 
I tell them, say, look, unfortunately, I don't, I don't think this is right. But if, you, if, if, if it would be a value to you, let me give you some feedback. Why? And everyone should be giving feedback. I've had feedback from recruiters where, you know, they, they've caveated, you know, this is an opinion from all the stuff I see. Ian, this on your CV, you want to take this out or move this or rephrase this or give me advice or what you want to do when you deal with these people is think about this or make sure you've researched this. Help me, give me value that's helping me be better for this uh, application or process or is intrinsically something I can take away and learn from. So the engagement I've had with you, I got value from it, even if I didn't get the job. I still got value from engaging with you and I respect you for it. That, that, those, I think, rather than try and name three, those would be the two that... Yeah, easy those are the do. two biggies. They're Absolutely. A They're a choice. You yeah. can do it or you can't do it. Totally. And, you know, it's almost worth assuming or imagining that every candidate that comes into your funnel or that, you know, you're communicating with in, in some way, shape or form is going to share that experience that they had with you with five other people in your market that you serve. And, you know, whether that's the case or not, I mean, some will and some, some, some may not. But if you're assuming that every person is going to talk to five others and share the positive or negative, then you know, almost approach the conversation or the relationship with that. Um, and it's the individual you know, frame. Way, something just struck me in the head is, you know, mm. there, are, there are a couple of recruiters I know where I have dealt with them and I've dealt with them uh, at different companies because I've trusted them as an individual. And the fact they've moved somewhere else is irrelevant to me. It's them. It's them as an individual that's given me the reputation and the interaction I had with them. I'd like to move on then Ian, to discuss building high-performing sales teams, which is something you've done throughout your career and which you're currently doing now at 1UP Sales. And you've actually got an interesting perspective because you're looking at it both as a sales leader yourself, but actually the 1UP product is one that is directly related to increasing sales performance for recruiting businesses. So you've got kind of an interesting perspective because yeah. you also have an overview of your clients' businesses and what they're doing and what's working for them. So let's talk about hiring first and then we'll move on to sure. um, you know, managing and, and motivating and, and creating the right environment for salespeople to, to, to thrive. Um, now that recruiting businesses are scaling again and growing and, and hiring, of course, um, it presents a challenge, which is how do we get the best people? How do we make them want to join us? Um, and how do we identify the people who are actually going to perform versus the people who just interview well? Yeah. And um, so what, um, what's been your experience uh, when you're building sales teams? What are some of the best practices or, or um, techniques that have helped you? Yeah, there's, there's where to start, right? There's lots of uh, small nuggets. So I, I, I'll uh, throw some stuff out and you, you can dig and ask where you wish. So I, I guess one is the recruitment process in itself is that it's not, a, I've watched where people have got headcount and it's, I've got to fill this headcount and just get it done and get going. You know, my view is always, I'm looking for the long game is recruiting. I'd rather wait 
and it's painful, right? For me, interviewing is the most recruiting is an interview is in getting the right person is the most important part of the role of a sales leader it, whether you get it to make sure you get it right or wrong because if you get it wrong there's a pain right it isn't just an inconvenience it has got a long tail of pain because you've got to onboard them at what point do you decide this isn't a fit this isn't working it, it, it usually unless someone comes in is an absolute train wreck or has lied in the process or you know, d- d- does something so inappropriate it makes an easy decision. It isn't something you find out in the first few weeks. You know, is it two or three months? Is it six months? Because you can't three weeks in go, well, you haven't sold a lot of stuff. Well, typically they're still onboarding, getting up to speed, figuring out the system, starting to build some pipe unless you've handed them on a plate. So it takes time to figure that out. And then you exit them. And you're back to square one. So you've lost this whole window of sales opportunity and revenue generation. But for me, there's an, there's, there's an additional knock-on is the people that you've already got in your team. They don't want to see a revolving door. They don't want to see someone come in that they build some rapport with and start to build a relationship with as a colleague who then leaves the business, particularly if they get on with them. And it isn't someone who's an ab- you know, absolute, doesn't fit, uh, and rubs them up the wrong way. They feel bad about it. What's going on there? They they start to ask questions. So it has a knock-on effect to the team around them. So I think it's absolutely totally. critical, and, and it's the hardest piece. For me, it's so time-consuming, and this is where recruitment can help if they do it well. And, and as, as an employer, what, what do I want, and I often don't get, is perfect world. The panacea is put in front of me every candidate – I, I look at it, it's going, oh, my God, a great candidate. Great. Make it difficult for me to make the selection. Put three, four, five candidates in front of me where I would hire all of them, and now I've got a difficult choice to make. I'm picking the best of the bunch, as opposed to put put loads of CVs to me that I then discount some of the CVs. Anyway, perfect panacea for me is anyone that you shortlist down to me and give me a CV for, should there ever be a situation where I go, no. It should be if you've listened and researched and understood what I want, the the majority, there will always be exception, of CVs that come through. I go, yep, you nailed it. I want to see them. 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 Because that's that's part of what I'm paying you to do. That's part of the value you're bringing to me is taking away the effort and shortening down my time spent in that recruitment process. So I only see candidates, perfect world, that would fit that I would hire and I'm making a choice of who the best is. What really happens typically is I end up seeing a lot of candidates and go, nah, not good enough, not happening, doesn't fit what I said, uh, looked it up on paper, but did you speak, and, and the number of times I've said to a recruiter, did you interview them? Did you, today video, right? But did you just go through this? Oh yeah, I had a quick chat with them. How much time did you spend qualifying this on my behalf? Uh, and when I really push sometimes, I find, oh, yeah, we spoke to them for five minutes, looked at the CV, thought it was right, sent it to you. <laughs> right. Right. Well, hang on a minute. If I'm paying this big recruitment fee, if you get the position, you get the placement, what, what is that fee for exactly? Is it for just advertising the role and putting it out onto the job sites and doing that stuff? Or is it, I thought it was for the you taking time off my plate to reduce the time I spend. So that's where the cost is, is saving me cost to put into your pocket. And I think that gets missed a lot of the time. Um, 
Because and just to yeah. pick up on the cool. Uh, um, so if if we're talking about recruiters who are building their internal team, then unless they're engaging with a rec to rec, which they may, you know, that is mm-hmm. is certainly an option. And and I know a number of recruitment business owners who 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 do use rec to recs as one of their sources of candidates. Um, but if they're they're not necessarily going to have what you're describing, where they have candidates presented to them, because they're having to go out and build that candidate pipeline themselves. Sure. Um, so, like, I guess probably there's there's two phases to this, right? There's the um, candidate attraction and engagement piece, but then there's the selection and and assessment piece, which is um, maybe like that would be more valuable to to concentrate on for our time sure. together is sure because you've got lots of experience uh interviewing salespeople mm-hmm. how do you know and what do you do to decide whether someone is a yes or a no thanks so i look i look for aptitude and attitude over to a degree skills and experience because i can right. co- i can coach skills and experience you, you're not going to know uh, our working practice, our process, our systems necessarily, that can be trained and coached. You know, that's a, an adaptable skill. And for me and what I do, it's a, the product is different than what you've done before. Okay. And, and, you know, do I care whether you've worked for a competitor in the sector? Not If, if you're capable, you're going to learn that pretty quickly. Your skills are transposable. What I'm looking for is the transposable skills, the people skills, mm-hmm. the, the sales skills, the pro, you know, the, the soft skills in terms of engagement, because those are, are learnt and habitual and behavioural. So I look for a salesperson that's got the right behaviours. And, exi- and, and here's the beauty. If you're, if you're dealing with, in these roles, your job is dealing with people and sales, right? Recruitment is sales, although the product is a person rather than a, a product. Um, so guess what? In my opinion, in an interview process, you should really be pretty good at it because it's what you do. You deal with people you haven't met before. You quantify what they're looking for. You uh, qualify, you think about the product you've got, um, the service or product you've got, and how it fits and the value it can bring. And can you demonstrate more value to them than someone else that they want to put money with you? Well, in an interview process, the product is you. The product you know better than anyone on the planet intrinsically is you. So you shouldn't have to worry about product knowledge. So it's how you now engage in that process. And that process, you've been trained to do. You know, if, if you're in a, a different industry, your job isn't selling things to other people and convincing them and, and matching product to solution, feature to functional list stuff. That's not your job, but it is. In these roles, it is. So it should be second nature. So what I'm looking for is behavior. And what I look for is simple things such as, okay, so you're, you're going to have an interview with me and let's say a colleague. Um, okay, so Dave, did you know you were interviewing with us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Tell me two things about each of us. Tell me uh, hmm. something interesting about our organization. I look for, did they do their research? And it isn't hmm. they've spent four months studying for an exam, but it doesn't take much effort in today's world to make a few clicks and identify. I, personally, I'd like them to not even get to that question and for them to use something they found to build rapport. 
So, for example, they might come out with, um, it, it, you know, it's interesting. So you used to work, used to work, I used to work at a company around the corner from you. Did you? Yeah, yeah, I noticed you worked at such and such. I was on the next road down there. Really? Now, straight away, A, you're building rapport, and B, I'm like, what a smart person. That's exactly what I'm a salesperson to do um, because they've done their homework and figured out a point of conversation that is relevant, authentic, and we're chatting about something and chatting, right? We're chatting. It's taking it away from being a, I ask you a question, you answer. The other behavior I, I look for is that it becomes a conversation naturally. But I really mm. have disdain of in, in roles, these type of roles, where it's not, a, we're recruiting a, a developer or something where it, it, it often goes away, but a salesy type people engagement role is where I'm, I ask a question. I've got a list, right, here's a question. And they wait for the question. And now they give a fact, they give an answer. Often they give an answer, which like me talking to you now probably, but often they'll give an answer which goes on and on and on. And sometimes I'll sit there and just think, I'm going to see how long they'll go for. Because I've already answered the question. You know, they're now going to use their whole interview time answering one question without understanding how important that was in the scheme <laughs> of things. And they're going to dig it. Okay. And in doing so, often they then slip up because they keep going, keep going, keep going. And they give me five more questions to ask based on everything they've said that now dig themselves a hole. Um, I want someone who behaves how I want them to behave in the job. Demonstrate. You. This is one where you can demonstrate how you would do the job. Show you've done your research. Yes. Engage with me how you're going to engage with our customers. Show me how you're going to do yeah. it. Come, come with notes. There's one. There's an easy one. Come with mm. notes, right? How many... The number of salespeople I, I see, they'll sit down, and if it is a physical interview, they'll often come suited and booted. Now, often that's a mistake in itself because why didn't you reach out beforehand and use that as an excuse to touch base and say, uh, what, what, is there anything I need to prepare? Um, can I validate with you what, what dress code would be expected? Ask. Because if you ask, I'm going to say, come business casual. It's more than fine. Don't worry about suit and tie, but, you know. And therefore, they're more comfortable and they've come appropriately, but they've asked and got permission beforehand. And they've had another engagement with the, the company or recruiter. Right? You've, you, there are re, say they've had a pre-engagement and there's nothing wrong in my view of reaching out, if you know, with I'm looking forward to meeting you and Dave uh, on Tuesday. Uh, if there is anything in advance that you'd like me to prepare, please do so. If not, I, I will be there and... Uh, Right, great. There's number one touch point. Two in the meeting, behave like a salesperson. And three after the meeting, do a follow-up. It might be as simple as, really enjoyed meeting you and Dave today. Um, here's some extra information that I promised you. Do behave like you would doing the job. Demonstrate. It's the one where you can demonstrate in the process how you are and that you're good for the role. And people don't do it. They go into what I see is they go into interview mode. They don't get a pad out. I've had salespeople don't have a pad of paper out. They sit there and they chat away. They what? In fact, they answer questions. They wait for me at the end to say, "Do you have any questions?" They then give me the verbatim question that everyone else has asked the same questions, which is more them going through the motions of, "I know he's going to ask for questions, so I better have some to ask back." But they're not really interested because they're the same as everyone else asked. They're not, you know, what are you like? Ask interesting questions. Ian, what's your style as a manager? What really uh, annoys you 
for one of your salespeople, what what gets gets you going? What really winds you up from a sale? Ask questions that challenge me. Go, oh my gosh! Show me you really do care care about this stuff. Could I speak to one of your other salespeople? No one else has asked that. Oh my god, fantastic! Do stuff. Be different. Be how you would be in a sales environment role. Stand out. I enter every interview with the view of you've got the job when you come in the room. It's how far away you take, how much you dig your own hole to take you away. Change my mind. And they do. And at the end of it, I ask of, often, out of interest, to give you some feedback. One of the things that frustrate me, you don't have a pad. Oh, you yeah, know, I've got it. It's in my bag. But when I'm with customers, I'd get it out. Right. Hmm. Now, do I believe that or not? Because you haven't done it. And yet I've other sale people come in fully prepared, open up their pamphlet i ask what uh, we, we end up in conversation and i think this is pleasurable it hasn't been hard for me as the interviewer it hasn't felt uncomfortable and oh, i have to really think about this it, the, it, the time's just flown by we've had a conversation and i still want to offer them the job at the end i'm just blown away oh my gosh how it feels like they're doing the job already i feel totally confident of their capability i like them they'll fit the team etc it's not rocket science, particularly if you're in that type of people selling role. Surely you should be able to just do what you do. Ian, this is this is great stuff. Do you, you actually? Because I, I think this is useful. Do you actually have a scorecard or like a checklist where you keep? Okay, where did they get in touch prior to the interview? Um, were they prepared? Did they research both the people they were meeting and the company itself? How well did they build rapport? Did they um, bring, you know, did they bring intelligent questions and, you know, actually take notes during the interview? Um, was it hard work or was it actually a, a, a pleasurable, you know, experience? Did they treat it as a two-way conversation or, you know, did they over-talk when we asked, you know, questions? And almost you could then ra rate people based on some of these um, yeah, you make you make me feel bad these, mark but yeah crikey why i've not written it maybe because it's habitual because i do it all the time but i the way i've done it and i and, and you're always probably better with this a uh, uh, programmatic score but i just i'm just noting those things down right because i'm so habitually programmed to look for that stuff i understand that by the but end what, of what it i'm trying I know, to know but you're absolutely right that would work really well and it's pretty simple stuff right it's if they don't do those things too often I find people employing people are convincing themselves because they want to fill the role. They're convincing right. themselves. And, and I've been in companies before where we've gone through that process and I've stepped back in a, in a, in a, a senior leadership team and said, guys, here we're doing it again. Let, let's stop this behavior. We're convincing ourselves of this candidate mm -hmm. of why we should hire them so we can get the hiring done. If there's doubts, if they haven't behaved that way, Surely we should be here where we're going, get them, get them. And, and it's an easy decision. That's what we should have. We want A players. We don't want a yeah. bum on a seat for the sake of filling the role, yeah. right? Because getting it wrong, that means it's got risk involved in it. Yeah. And, 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 that, and that's behavioral for me. It's not the skill, right? You can teach them, oh, but yeah, but they, but they haven't used this platform before. Okay. Do we think they're capable? Are they the type that, yeah, 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 but they haven't learned it, and this person has. Forget that. That's a skill-based thing they could learn. Do they fit mm -hmm. the business? Do they fit the skills? Who's the best? 
who we think would do the job. Forget too many people, I think, look at historical of, well, they've used these three platforms before or their mm. historical performance is an indicator, but it is not a perfect predictor of future performance, right? You don't know in that other organization if they had the sweet spot. They had some lucky accounts, for example, or they had a really mm, good time, exactly. but their personal life has changed and they've really gone off kilter now and they're not focused or they've become more senior and they've become a bit, they're not as hungry as they used to be. So just because they did that then doesn't mean they're going to do it in your organization. It's, it's an indicator, but it is not the definitive predictor. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I love recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. Okay, so that's the, the first thing is I like that mindset of making sure that we're hiring the right person and it's not a bum on the seat. Number two is um, everything that you've said that is important to you that you're looking for when you're evaluating uh, a candidate makes total sense. And yet a I don't think we're often, we're, we're not really considering those things. Like this is how the person is going to perform in the job. How they're coming across to me is a sort of um, preview of how they're going to come across with clients in sales meetings and, and, and interviews with candidates and so on. So if I'm not impressed, like if they're really underwhelming me here, then do I want them representing my business and, and continuing these behaviors, you know, so that's a, that's a great test as well. But here's a harder case, Ian, which is what about the, because th this does happen. Someone looks and sounds and behaves in all the right ways during the interview, but an interview, performing well in interview and performing well in the job are not the same thing. Mm -hmm. So what else? And I agree hundred percent with hiring based on attitude and aptitude rather than skill or have they, you know, done the exact same job before hundred percent. But how do you assess the likelihood that someone is going to be able to get results? So uh, I think there's twofold is, is one, e the ideal one, not easy, but ideal is to be able to take prior reference uh, independently. Mm -hmm. Because you, you usually ask, right, well, can you give me a reference? Well, that means they select the reference. The beauty, and the beauty certainly of LinkedIn, 
is the number of times I've been able to see shared connections. I remember one, in fact, where a candidate came in and I threw at them during the interview of, and, and how, do, how, do, how well do you know such and such? And I watched their face drop. A, they hadn't done their homework to realize that that person had worked for me three times before. And I spotted a connection. I'd already reached out to them and said, out of interest, you're not working them now confidentially because I knew them well enough that it's not breaking any confidence. Um, do you know such and such? Yeah. And they just went, okay, why? Um, now, the interview had already been booked, right? It was, they were coming in, so it wasn't something I could cancel. Um, cause it was, it was literally, I think that if I remember right, it was that morning I got hold of them and went, okay, well let's see how this goes. And I had third party reference and context, um, from someone I trusted and knew that's, that's the perfect one. More so than that, I, I guess more commonly is the ability to put them through a process is not just, they've come in interview. Now let's a second interview them. Get them to what one of my things is to get them to meet other members of the team. Yeah. You know, that's a beauty, particularly in a sales or, or this type of recruiter role, is while they're in or they're visiting or even with video, um, I'd like you to meet one or two other members of the team and get their guard down and ask them anything you like and tell your people they can ask them anything. Salary and, and confidential stuff aside, go and have a chat. And I'll get my team to come back to me. And if you get a couple of your team come back saying, I couldn't work with them or giving you feedback because I care about the people I've got. What I don't want to do is bring someone in that is a rogue, is, is a siloed individual that then does it reputation damage to two other people I've got. So great, I've gained one and I've now got two others who aren't happy because the environment around or, 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 or et cetera. So that's, that's one is a good one is to use a sounding board mm -hmm. of other trusted members of your team. And it also makes your existing team feel valued, that you respect their opinion mm. and they're doing the job. Yeah, They're doing the job. And it totally. also sometimes, let's be blunt, puts your candidate off. Because they, they, I've had people come back and say, oh, I didn't realize it was that sort of, that was involved in the job. And I've had that conversation and they've discovered other things. Um, mm -hmm. And I'd rather find that out at the beginning, even if it's a good candidate, that if this isn't going to be for them and they're going to find that out a month into the job, I'd rather they find out before they join. And I don't end up them and me in that situation in, in the first place. Better to find out now. Um, the other bit I've had is, is, is them find uh, as in the behaviors they've exhibited that they've, they've dropped their guard because they're not now dealing with a senior person and they have a chat and it becomes, they become more relaxed and I get good feedback, mm. good or good or bad of the real person came out and I get other people saying, Oh no, once that they, they really shared this and this, this, and I like them even more and it validates it even more perhaps. And the other thing you can do is put them through a process, right. Of get them to, um, you know, and this is an interesting one. I had a conversation with someone about this the other day on a group panel we were t discussing of, of sales leaders of if it's a high value role, could you put them through a process where you said, for example, right, I want you to um, do that. I want you to go and look at our competitors and come back to me with how you would position us differently or why you think we, we, where you think we're weak or do something, but, but offer to pay them for it. If they're a really good candidate and you're going to get give them a task to do, that you'd expect them to be able to do regardless of they're not part of your organization, but compensate them for it. Right. Whether they hmm, join on, you know, idea. It, it, on the basis yeah. of you're de-risking your position, you're getting a piece of value out of it anyway. 
you know, there's just things like that because hiring someone in a what's typically a reasonably expensive role, okay, eh, and paying if you are paying a recruitment fee, if you're not, you've still got the cost of hiring and the cost of risk. If you get it wrong, yes. what is the real cost? Oh, well, it hasn't cost us anything. We didn't pay a recruitment fee. No, it has cost you something. You've got lost opportunity cost. If you've brought someone on board for three, two, let's say two months, and then they've let you've lost three, four months of sales, you've got to recruit someone else again, you've lost that mm-hmm. growth that you had in your plan. You had a budget to hire someone. Well, attached to them was a target. If they didn't come on and start to onboard and go up, that target is now deferred. You haven't got new revenue coming in because the, the, the person isn't there. But you still got a target to hit. Absolutely. So there is, there is a cost, regardless whether you've paid a recruitment fee or not. There is a cost. So, but it is that it's hard, right? There is, it, you're dealing with human beings. You're dealing with human beings yeah. who, even if you do all the checksums, You've got mental health issues, I suggest, going on now with with people who've worked at home. How are you going to evaluate that? None of us, I haven't been trained to deal with um, staff or or potential staff with the situation we've just been through over the last year to 18 months. Are we going to find people have got COVID PTSD and they have Mm. have challenges in their life? How do you identify that in the process? There's no test, I don't think, for that. There's no, you're not going to put them through a psychologist. so one of the questions, a good question I would suggest people ask. Now. I actually, actually, sorry to sorry to interrupt you. And sure. I used to, um, if I, a, an old client of mine did actually bring in a like business psychologist to on one of the interviews, and um, got that person's like as a as a second opinion because he was the only leader in the small business. He didn't have colleague. Like, yes, he could do the team part where you go and meet the colleagues and get their opinion, but he didn't have anyone to be a sounding board. He actually paid a psychologist to like participate in the interview process and to, um, and then use that person as a sounding board afterwards. So interesting. it's not as outlandish as you might, as you might think. Interesting. Yeah. So I, I just think, you know, you've got to think about it's a person you're employing and with them comes all the baggage, not just of their work life, but of their personal life and situation um, and who they are. Mm-hmm. And, and, and the good, you know, so, so there's a, for me, cultural fit and who they are is intrinsically important because as I said, you can't change who they are. They're not going to mm-hmm. become a different person. Totally. You can change skills. I can teach you some stuff you don't know. I'm coaching. I've got a couple of young salespeople. In fact, three young salespeople I've, I've recruited now, and I'm coaching them. But they've got the uh, ability. They've got the aptitude. They've got the want to do it. But have they got a ton of experience in SaaS technology sales? No, no. But they've got the right approach, and they I could – innately see they were coachable and at the moment we're performing way ahead of results far quicker and i've hired people in the past and i've inherited people and here's an indicate interesting one learning exercise who others have said yeah i don't i don't they don't fit our typical salesperson i remember one individual i inherited where i got told and they'll if they hear this they'll, they'll recognize themselves probably of but they're not the typical salesman they're quite quiet and they're and they're quite they're not uh, you know, um, flamboyant, and they're not all, all the all the typical stereotypical stuff. And I said no, mm-hmm. but I can see the skill set in them. They went on to be the top salesperson I had because they were diligent. 
They cared about customers. They did the right. They had the ability, but they weren't the typical, I'm going to get up and, and da, da, da. They, they were meticulous. Um, mm-hmm. it's a di- people have different styles, right? It's, of course. But they had the, they, I could see in them the aptitude, the ability, the attitude. So I just coached them sales skills around it and supported them. And they became the top salesperson and, and absolutely slam dunked the numbers for a year. I've been lucky. I've made mistakes. I've hired the wrong people mm-hmm. sometimes, but in the majority, I have, you could you call it luck. I've hired a lot of people who I've repeat hired. I've had one individual's worked for me four times, one three I can think of, and then I've got quite a few who've worked for me twice because I found them, they were successful. Wow, that's cool. And in a subsequent role, yeah. I could recruit them again, which de-risks it for me. And we both know what we're getting, but I've got it right a lot of times where I've got a, a good base out there of good salespeople. And that's by looking at the people, not, oh, have you said... I, 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 I've bucked the trend a lot where I've been told, hire someone from the competitor. You know, well, really? What does that, what does, does that mean they could be successful here? Or does it mean they've got baggage of, well, it's different. And why haven't we got that product? Or why don't we do it this way? Well, it doesn't matter. Even, the, even different industries I've hired people from who haven't been in technology and they've still done really well. It, because they've had, mm. I've looked for that innate, they've got, they've got it. But what they need support on is perhaps the sales skills around the edge uh, or product skills or the market knowledge or whatever. But all of that you can learn. If, you've, if you're the right type of person, totally. you're going to learn that. You're going to win wherever you are. Yeah, fantastic. So um, this is great stuff, Ian. What, final thing I wanted to ask you about is around creating a high-performance sales team culture environment and um you know there's a there's a big i I mean it's been going on for a few years this debate about kpis right and i'm a kpi man i like to measure myself i like to know what the goal is and how close or far away i am from the goal and i like to break down the big goal into smaller daily and weekly goals And to know, am I on track? Do I need to make adjustments? What can I tweak or where do I need to improve? So to me, it's valuable to measure things. But then there's a real sort of movement against that of people saying, no, you you know, you can't micromanage people and people don't like, you know, the, the, the new generation don't like KPIs and we need to just focus on the outcome and not worry about how they get there and so on. Where do you... How do you relate to this particular topic? And uh, well, let's start there. Like, what's your thought around this? Sure. So let me let me come at it from a different angle that ends up in the same place. I think so. Okay. Sales is a numbers game. Well, true okay. and false. Because what do you mean by that? Mm. It's it's an easy statement to make, right? Well, it is a numbers game because it's about producing a result of revenue, typically. So there you go. There's a numbers game. But too often, let me give an example, people intrinsically link it. They correlate They correlate thing, two things together and make it causation. So what I mean by that, let me give you this one. So I worked in the telephony market for a number of years. And we would speak to a prospective customer and say, well, you know, what, what, what's, what, what are you trying to achieve? What's the outcome? Well, we, we want to, we want to, we need to make more dials. We need uh, something that enables the team to be more efficient in, in dialing. 
Okay, why? 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 I already know where they're going is, well, we've discovered that it takes this many phone calls to get a conversation and this many conversations to get a prospect and a lead and this many leads convert, et cetera. So we've worked it backwards and we've got this SDR team, telesales team, whatever, that today's doing 70 calls each. I need them them to be able to do 95 calls each a day because we've worked out that ratio. And what I've always said to them is, okay, so what you're telling me is you want to improve the ratio of revenue at the end, the conversion ratio of that whole P. No, 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 I want to make more dials. No, you don't. You don't. Because if, you, if, if your only answer is to make more dials and move this, this metric here, then what happens when that isn't enough? And it's, 100, it's, 100, it's, two, it's 400 dials a day per person to get one conversation. Would you rather I help you understand how – out of out of 50 dials, you're getting what? Oh, out, out of it takes 150 dials to create one lead today. Okay, if I could get it down to pick a number, it's less than 100 dials to create two leads. Is that more interesting, or do you just not, or you you don't care about that? You just want the dials, and then mm. they stop and think, oh, well, how'd you do that? Right. So sales is it's a numbers game, but it's the right numbers and the right KPIs and the right metrics that cause the outcome. So what links to the causation? Too often, they're just looking at pure assumed correlation. Mm-hmm. How do you know that it's 150 dials to get that? What if you trained, what, what's your team doing on each dial? What's the behavior they're having? Are they just literally as fast as they can? Oh, yeah, sorry. Uh, can, can I try and sell you something? No, you don't want it. Okay, next one. Can you try and sell you something? No, next one. <laughs> or, or if I change the behavior of those calls to have different skills and different coaching, do you think you might have a more successful outcome on those calls? Oh, if if the data they're calling, what's the data they're using? Oh, it's just general telephone data. Okay. What's your target market? Who's your buyer persona? Who's your ideal pers- customer? What's your? Let's have a look at your data. Oh, okay. So your ideal customer is, let, let's say what we were talking about, a recruitment company of 25 to 45 seats or employees or whatever you want. Or it's a, a legal firm of this size to this size. Or it's a legal firm who specializes in this firm. Whatever it is, who is your ideal customer? Not the universe. Who's your low-hanging fruit? Who's the ones you have the most success with? Great. Let's have a look at your data you're calling, right? You're calling the whole market. Would you not be better identifying and giving them better quality data of the target market they're going after? Do you think that would increase the success rate they have? Then train them a bit. And, and let's listen to the calls they're making. And I'm doing that with my guys today, listening to the calls and tuning mm. it and go, guys, yes. you don't want you, what I'm hearing you do on that call is go, and we do this and this and this. If I didn't know what we did, that, that goes in one ear or the other. That's, that's you're talking, oh, we do this, throwing stuff at the wall. You're not saying what we do for you, what we're doing is helping other recruitment firms like you drive greater revenue and gr- more placements more effectively is that of interest to you? Well, yeah, but how are you doing it? Well, the way we're doing it is increasing the productivity engagement um, uh, of your team. Blah, 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 blah. Oh, you lead through to, but you don't start with, well, we have this function and this function, and this function. So do you think that would have a different result than this? Yes, but that's not moving more calls, right? So too often, this sales is a numbers game. Yes, it is, but no, it isn't. It's which dials are you moving which are the important mm-hmm. dials and why? And, and, and it isn't one isolated dial. And then what can you do about it? So all I do when I come into these businesses, Mark, that you described, I've helped. Mm-hmm. I'm doing exactly the same here, 
is I look at the customer base we've got, look at the solution we've got. I assimilate firstly, right, what's, what, what have, what's, been, what's gone on before and what's the dials that I can move and impact? I don't come in with an epiphany moment. No one's stupid, right? Where I go, here's the golden key. And I just turn this and no one's thought of this before. It's lots of small things. For example, of course it is. Yeah. Who's our average size customer? Can we move that up slightly? What's our average sales cycle? How do I shorten that slightly? Um, who's our target persona? Are we focusing on that? What's the value proposition we're giving to them? What's the communication we're using when we speak to them? What's the quality of the data we've got? Well, if that isn't good, we're throwing mud at the wall. We're doing a lot of activity. How do I get the team to be as productive as possible, which is focused on the right thing with the right message as efficiently as possible, i.e. using the right tools, click to dial, minimize the manual, manual stuff, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's a whole gambit of bringing things together, and those marginal gains compound to a much greater outcome. And it's pretty, and I've done it in multiple, multiple companies, and every time it's worked. There's no, oh my God, there's one big solution to this. And every organization can do this by looking at what's gone on, look at stop, start, continue. What do we, what do, we do more of? What do we stop doing because it's not working, but which it's, it's just effort? And what aren't we doing that we can, we can now start? Can I just reflect on a few of the, nuggets you shared there, Ian. One is the, the last one, actually, this is a really useful exercise, stop, start, continue. How often do you do that? Is it a monthly or like a, you know, how often do you sort of so, look at these things aren't working, let's stop them. We need to do this, which we're not doing already. That's the start and then continue. This is working. So let's keep doing it. So month, month is good. My, my, my habitual behavior is I'm looking at it all the time. Yeah, I'm looking okay. at all the time, right? It's not a a scheduled thing. It's if I spot something, I question. I question which bucket does it fall into, and then have conversation mm. about it. Like we're doing this, guys. Do you think it's and ask the people who are doing it? Do you mm. think this is a good idea? No. Why not? Well, why are you doing it? Because we were told to do it before, or it's the process we've got. Okay. But if you're doing the job and you don't think it's good and it's not producing the results, why haven't you spoken up? Oh, because we didn't speak up. You're closest right. to it. Speak up. We should stop doing this. Well, tell someone and let's have a conversation about it. You're all empowered. It isn't top down. Right? Mm. Often the people at the coalface know this stuff and will tell you, we shouldn't be doing this. But they keep doing it because they were told to do it at some point. It's baked into the business. It's a process. <laughs> okay. And it might have worked five years ago, <laughs> right. but it's not working now. And no one knows. I've had a situation where no one knows who put it in place or why it was put in place, but we've always done it that way. That's the worst right, answer, right. right? Stick your hand up and say, I don't think this is working. Excuse me, everyone. This is not This is really hard. Okay, let's have a look at it. That's how you, you have develop the business and also your team because they feel part of, we can shape their success. They're not sat there not wanting to be successful, right? They're not sat there, I want to do as many calls as possible. I'm just going through the activity. I just tick in the box. They want to be successful in the most efficient way possible as of well. Of course they do. If you, absolutely. And we've got the right people. They want success, right? They don't want to go through the motions. So you've, you gave a few uh, of the key dials to turn to maximize productivity and increase revenue. There were things like, okay, what's the quality of the data? Are we 
you know, actually targeting the right prospects. I mean, because if we're calling the wrong people, the best salesperson in the world is not going to do well if they're calling the wrong prospects, right? Yep. So that's number one. Number two is we're looking at the value proposition, you know, and is that the right one? Like how are, how are we articulating, you know, what we actually do, the benefits we bring? Number three is around training and coaching, like listening to calls, giving live feedback, enhancing people's skill set. Um, you know, and then you did say like focus on the right metrics, but I'd like to double click on that. What do you believe are the right metrics in a recruitment business? So, you know, it, it varies on the type of recruitment. So if you're doing a executive headhunting, is it going to be the number of phone calls to get candidates? No, it's not. So there isn't one set of metrics. And, and, and we at OneUp deal with hundreds of recruit, recruiters. And there's some commonality of, of KPIs, such as, you know, looking at a recruiter, how many first interviews, how many second interviews have they had, how many placements, revenue, et cetera, et cetera. There's some generic stuff that does sort of fit. Um, mm -hmm. But then there's other bits that are different to each, right? Some care about the number of calls and the number of th something called solid calls. So isn't it interesting to see how many calls did this recruiter make? How many solid calls? And a solid call is defined as meeting a certain time constraint. So you might say, for us, a solid call is anything over four minutes, anything over eight minutes. Okay. And we can do that. So you can have a nice dial that says, this recruiter has done this, this many calls, and this many of them were over this many minutes. And here's the ratio. So if you've mm. got a recruiter, here's an interesting one. You've got two recruiters. One's done 200 calls this week, two solid calls. The other one's done 50 calls this week, 20 solid calls. I would suggest there is what's called an insight there. And that's the, that's the mm. real key here is take, finding a way to turn data into insight. Yes. Data is just data. Insight means we've transformed it into something valuable for you to ask questions about and to discuss. So that, that for me would be recruiter A talking to recruiter B and going, how are you getting so many good com longer conversations? And it may just be down to how they're approaching it, how, how they're positioning the value proposition is totally different. They're probably asking more questions. questions. Yeah. So, so how are you doing that? Or what's the ratio of first to second interviews? What if you've got, you know, recruiter A, whose ratio is for every three first interviews, they're getting a second interview. Recruiter B is, is nine to one. What are you doing between phase one and phase two that I'm not? Is it that you're qualifying? Why, why are you getting that ratio? Because if I mm. had that ratio, I would have a better outcome because I'm getting more second interviews. What, do you, what, what are you doing that I'm not? Unless you've got the visibility of those insights, all you have is data and activity and you just keep turning a wheel. And hoping, and hope is not a strategy, right? Insight enables you to have conversation, to dig in and ask questions, ask question, the right question in the right place. And then you find answers and you find things that you didn't know that you can change, you can replicate. The key is for me with the sales team, identifying what good looks like, right? And good doesn't mm -hmm. look like, do a load of, just do a load of effort. Do, you're making more calls than them, so you're good. No, good looks like who's getting the best outcomes and how are they doing it? What's the causation of those outcomes? And how do I replicate that mm -hmm. causation in the appropriate way across other people in the style they do it, right? Because everyone aren't robots and they don't do everything exactly the same way. But how do I learn from insights? What are the, what's the causes of the good outcome? And what can I learn from that to get others to be bring them up and be more successful? 
Totally agree. Um, so Ian, how many recruiters do you guys currently have on your one-up sales platform? So we, we've got, um, in terms of recruiters per people, thousands, we've got a uh, 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 crikey, 100 to 200 recruitment companies and growing. And interestingly, what we're finding is we're, we're signing a number of larger recruitment companies now, particularly as uh, we're seeing a different work environment, as we all are. It, it may, you know, I'm seeing recruit, recruiters are coming back to work, coming back to the office, environment, but a lot of them are going to be hybrid. So a yeah, big conversation totally. we're having is how do I motivate, engage my recruiters based on they're not going to be in the office as much? And how do I get yes. them understanding and learning from what their colleagues are doing when they're not necessarily going to be sat next to them as much as they were before to overhear conversations? How do I, con how do I still get that engagement between teams? And that's the beautiful thing we do and, and that our customers love. And we're building more things in there today, which will be coming out in the coming months to enhance that even further. Well, that's an awesome question. I'd like to know the answer to. But what, where I was going with this question is, you've got thousands of recruiters yep. who are using the platform, and so I guess my question was, which are the metrics that you are tracking, and what insights have come out across the whole of your, you know, user base that could be valuable for people to. Um, to be able to learn and understand from. Sure. So, of course, we anonymize the data that we see, but but across metrics we, we track is everything that, from the data we suck, right? Whether we display it uh, on, on a dashboard necessarily, we get a vast amount of data throughput um, and mm -hmm. Recruiters are, are, are interested in all the different metrics. So some is just activity metrics, but the real insights come from these ratios, these mm, combining. Yes. And the beauty is we combine metrics from things like phone systems and CRM, which often you don't have in one place. So what's the call mm -hmm. ratio to finding a new candidate? What's the, what's the um, placement ratio from second interview to placement? How many go through what pro parts of the process and all these sort of stats? So what we're seeing is, is if you look across, there's a lot of inefficiency. I would say that's the biggest summary thing we're seeing. There's a lot of inefficiency yeah. and, and lack of consistency and performance across organizations. The ratio should be fairly similar across in, in an organization, right? So if you're getting a, a ratio of first to second interview and second interview to placement or second interview to offer to completed placement um, or repeat contract ratio compared to how many customers are repeat taking contractors from you, all these type of things, there should be consistency. If you've got 20 recruiters, there should be a level. And what we're seeing is very disparate results certainly at the outcome when yes. we turn on. What we start to see is as people use our platform, that starts to normalize and get closer together. There's always going to be a difference, right? Because people are different. They're dealing with different customers, um, et cetera. But we see it coming closer together because when you get most, – most recruiters don't have visibility of this. They don't have visibility of the insights. What they have from their CRM is dashboards with data. Revenue, number of CVs mm. we've added this week, number of candidates we've added. That's just data. It's useful. And you can say, well, mm -hmm. you know, they're probably looking at how many candidates do we add this month compared to last month. But what you're not seeing is the real below the surface information of what's happening with that, that data. What's, what's the cause that that's having? Do you really want to add 5,000 candidates to your system? 
if it doesn't cause any increase in your revenue or you've, you've done all this effort, but the revenue increase is marginal? Or are you adding right. the wrong candidates? Are you just are you addressing the wrong metric? And that's the beauty of what what we give. And we start to see behaviours change, um, and we certainly start to see more productivity because because recruiters have got more visibility. If you give an individual more visibility of their own KPIs, whatever the KPIs you've defined are, are the important ones for your business, and our platform helps you sort of tune that, we see people start with one set of KPIs and then change them because they realise what is the cause as opposed to what they thought it was. Um, but if you give people visibility, particularly remote, with remote workers, you change behavior. Mm. My, you know, let me give you the easiest analogy. My daughter does online math stuff, particularly during COVID, where she's, they've got this online portal they can do. Um, yeah. And I watch her behavior. She, if, if she didn't know how she was doing compared to others, would it drive what I see? No. But what she does is she does a little test, does some maths, spends 15 minutes on it, and then she's straight back to the little tab at the top leaderboard, and she can see in real time, where am I against my classmates now? Oh, I'm third. Hang on a minute. Oh, I'm getting close, though. Oh, and off she goes back in there and self-motivates <laughs> to do another. Instead of finishing, we've said do 15 minutes. Instead of going, right, I'm finished now. I'm going to go and do something else. She does another 10 minutes and then does another 10 minutes. And it's like, beautiful. Why? Because it's the way we're programmed as humans is, and that's why it works in the consumer world, right? We see so many things with league tables and badges and because you care where you're at, where you're at in that, in that, where, where, how am I doing compared to others? And that's what we do. So I've written, I love it. I've written down three things here, efficiency, consistency, and visibility. And the, the um, efficiency is like by having the data and measuring everything, we're able to identify where are the leaks in our bucket? Like, what do we need to do to improve? Rather than just adding more, more numbers in the top, making more dials, how can we improve our ratios so that we're getting better results with the same or less effort? So that's the first thing. The second thing, consistency. If we're able to identify huge variability between team members, within the same business, yep. then what are the highest performers doing differently and how can we replicate that through to everybody? Absolutely. Uh, and number three, the visibility is being able to see how I'm doing in the important areas compared to my peers. Um, a, so I can learn and, and get better, but B, it does create a little bit of friendly competition. As you said, the example with your daughter doing the math is it Mathletics she uses? That's it, what my no, kids are I forget, on. I forget what the platform's called. Uh, All right. To minute. But you're, you're absolutely right. And, and, and the easy piece is usually, particularly with remote workers, they're not intentionally slacking off, right? No. They don't know sure. that they're not keeping themselves up because they're isolated. I'm sat here remotely at home right now. How mm. would you know what a colleague's doing in their home remotely? Or even if they're in the office, if you're sat next to them, you sort of get that feel, right? That vibe of the the, the, you, you, the ebb and flow. You keep you keep yourself up to that pace, and it's been tested, right, psychologically and things, where you put people in somewhere, and people start to find this normalisation of behaviour. But if you've been isolated from that, how do you know? I don't know that someone, I don't, what you don't want is a manager at the end of the week having to virtually tap on their door and say, hey, hey, Bob, um, just want to have a word. This week you've really been down on this. Have I? Oh, 
Well, I didn't intend to be. Now you've got a, ba- a negative discussion. The manager probably doesn't mm-hmm. want the conversation. Bob certainly doesn't want to hear that at the end of the week um, and didn't intend to be down on, on it, but didn't know. If they're seeing that all the time, very clearly, live, where they are amongst the team, how they're doing on KPIs, how they're doing on their own KPIs, but also in comparison, they've got ability mm-hmm. to co- correct yourself all the way, right? This is like steering a big ship. Um, you're heading towards that iceberg. Well, if I can see the iceberg five miles out, start steering it in the right, I can start adjusting my behavior now, not when I'm too, it's too late and someone now points it out to me and I have, and I can't stop the, it. the beauty of this, Ian, is it's um, empowering the individual to um, performance manage themselves rather than it being a weekly meeting with the manager who says, oh, okay, so... You've done this right, but you've failed on this, this, and this. And then it's hugely demotivating, you know, whereas if they have real-time live data and they know how they're doing, if they're struggling with something, then there's an opportunity to get help and to, you know, to boost, you know, them up in in that area. But it's not like a retrospective telling off or something of that nature it's it's very collaborative and they're they're they can own their own performance which is you know much more empowering and and uh engaging right you you describe it much more eloquently than i did so thank you <laughs> no not at all i'm just summarizing what i heard you uh what i heard you saying Ian, we're out of time for today but i've really enjoyed the conversation so thank you so much for um for coming on the Resilient Recruiter. If people want to follow up with you and learn more about OneUp Sales, what's the best place for them to go or way for them to do that? Sure. Thank you for the opportunity. So yeah, simple one, come to OneUp Sales, that's O-N-E-U-P sales, one word, .co.uk, or come and find me on LinkedIn and you can find me at ianmoist.co.uk and reach to me personally. Thank you. And it's Moise, M-O-Y-S-E. We'll have the details in the show notes, but just in case people are listening while they're driving or uh, or jogging or whatever, they can't go straight away to find you. That's been brilliant, Ian. Well, look, uh, I look forward to continuing our you know conversations offline and, uh, and, and thanks again. Mark, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. I know how busy recruiters are, so I'm honored that you're investing this time with me each week. I don't take your attention for granted. That's why I'm going all out to deliver value for you here, real insights you can apply to improve your business. And if you really want to help me to reach a wider audience and impact more people, please consider leaving the show a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you leave me a review, please reach out and let me know so I can thank you personally. Please hit the subscribe button and I'll see you next time.